You're listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com. I'm going to be really bold and tell you that God is going to disturb you in such a way that you're going to need to make up a confession of faith that, you, that, that is going to make you come forward and declare something that's going to change your life. We had our banners that says that He changes the story. And everybody needs their story changed, oriented more and more in Jesus Christ. And with the hope of the gospel, what is so beautiful about God is it doesn't matter where you begin. Are you in a low spot in your life? Have things been against you? Is there all these negative things that could be out there? He can change that story right now. And I believe it is God's will that he changes that story right now and puts you on a trajectory and a path so that when you are walking on planet Earth, you are a person blessed of God. We will do away with those curses, we will. And so let me, let me read to you a bit of the resurrection story of Jesus. And uh, then I'm going to tell you about these seven I am's. But it's Easter, so I've got to do this. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 20. And we're going to read a verse or two, and then I'm going to explain a concept to you that you're going to want to hear. For chapter 20 says in John's Gospel, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. If you know nothing else, that's the change of the story. That is the dynamic change that happened in the story. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter, the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. She doesn't even know the totality of the story. So Peter went out with the other disciples. They were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came and followed me, went into the tomb, but he saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth, the face cloth. This is, this is like the mummified thing of Jesus, like his face, and, and, he's, and he's gone from there, and you can just touch this garment. He's going, what has happened? What has happened is Jesus has been risen from the dead, and he's not lying in linen cloths, but folded in one place by itself. And so the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they, they did not understand that he would risen from the dead. Can you say amen? amen? Let's talk about this in good detail. Jesus earlier says this phrase. He says, I am. And so, so I want you to say, he is. He is, he is this I am. The significance of it, of it is amazing. Jesus knew exactly who he is. Jesus knows exactly who he was. So I would have to ask you, do you know exactly who you are? In fact, if I would ask you who you are, you might trip up. So I kind of follow sports. And next month is the NFL draft. 
And so there's going to be these good-looking, wonderful young men who are athletes, and they're, they're especially in the first round. So there's all these videos and these you know, documentary stories about them. Some have come from really good homes. Some are just amazing stories of overcoming. But these men are going to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, and they have a number and all of that. And so if you were to ask one of those young men, who are you? You've, you've been drafted in the NFL. They're going to say, well, I'm an NFL athlete. And that's who I am. And I'm here to tell you that if they stay with that orientation, they will actually doom themselves. That is not actually the mindset that is necessary to grow the character. I once was a police chaplain for about 13 years, and what was fascinating was the young guys would come out of the academy. And so if the guys came out of the academy and say, young man, young woman, who are you? You've just graduated from the police academy, and this is a great honor and privilege that you're doing. Who are you? Who are you? And they would say, well, I'm a law enforcement officer. And yet part of my job as a chaplain was to try and change that mindset. No, that's actually not who you are. That might be your professional life. That may be something that you're doing as a contribution to society. But that is not who you are in the character and true essence of your heart. There's something greater that God wants to do. And then even on a more common way, you know, so, so, okay, if you're a mom, raise your hand up there. Where's my mama bears? Okay, come on, give it to me, mamas. Okay, so you ask a mom, right? You ask a mom, you know, who are you? What's the mama bear going to say? I'm a mom. I'm a mom, right? And she's going to mention, you know, how many you got God and how old they are and all of that. I'm a mom. And I'm going to say, no, there's something beyond being a mom. Yeah, right, pastor. No, no, don't you understand that I cook? And sometimes I cook for people who don't appreciate me cooking. And then I do laundry. I do lots of laundry. I do laundry all the time. I fold and I fold. And sometimes it seems that my life is folding other people's clothes. And then they dirty it again. And then I wash it again. Right? That's the life of a mom. And on and on it goes. But mom has a life beyond that motherhood. That motherhood is a blessing, but the very character of her life is something even, even more wonderful than motherhood, believe it or not. And so on and on it goes. If nobody knows who they are, everyone's really confused. But Jesus did not, he was not confused. He knew exactly who he was. But let me tell you who's really confused. My dog, Lily. Yeah, I have a lab dog. I have a lab, I have a beautiful, now she's tan, she's, uh, usually she's in my truck on the other side of the property watching, watching everybody here. I have this gorgeous, gorgeous lab dog. My lab dog thinks that she's a person. She is not a person. You know how I know she's not a person? She pays no bills. That's how I know she's a person, right? I mean, you know, so, so the vet, when the vet comes over, this is worse than Costco. See, I conquered Costco by not going to Costco. When I used to go to Costco and if I got out with less than $100, I would just tell the person at the checkout line, I won, I won. They go, what, how'd you win? I go, I got out of this store for less than 100 bucks. And they'd look at me, they go, how'd you do that? I got one thing, right? So the vet comes, no, the vet comes over to the house and I lose $1,000, right? That's what happens to my dog, Lily. Lily will charge her this much money and she doesn't care. She jumps on the furniture. She licks us. She's happy all the time. She's this wonderful dog. This dog is confused about who she is and she pays none of the bills in the house. You and I are also confused. We have all of these identity issues, and Jesus had none of them. And so Jesus would go on to use his phrase saying, I am. And that phrase, I am, which I had you repeat as he is, is his central identity that he is actually God in human flesh. 
That I am statement was found back in a burning bush with Moses, where Moses was walking around in what we now call Saudi Arabia. And he, he, was, he was there, and all of a sudden there was a bush, and it was on fire, and it was burning, but it was not being consumed, and he had to go look and see, what is this physical phenomena? And he goes and he sees what this physical phenomena is. And all of a sudden he hears this voice that says, you're on holy ground. And he takes off his shoes and he realizes he's on holy ground. And earlier he had gone through an identity crisis. He, he was adopted into the Pharaoh's court. So his mom had birthed them, but then there was, there was a, there were the, the taking of these Hebrew children and they were throwing them and, 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 and harming them and they were, they were taking their lives. I'm trying to make this very G-rated. And so the Lord captures his life and he's adopted into Pharaoh's home and he grows up to be a young man. He's well-educated. He knows society. And so now at this moment, he understands, he comes to the revelation that, wait, I'm an adopted child. I, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually one of these Hebrew slaves. What, what God actually plucked me out of that and gave me the education and the, the training and the upbringing in this incredible royal house, what is God doing? And so he goes out to practice his faith and practicing his faith, he ends up killing a man. And so now, now years and decades go by where he's gone from Egypt and he's gone from being an urbanite to a farmer. So we can kind of relate. He's actually hanging out in property very similar to this in a much more desert context. And so Moses now, he sees this revelation from God and he's scared about it because he's on holy ground and once he tried to practice his faith and it didn't work out for him. Is that you? Have you ever confessed Jesus and you took a step forward and you're here to tell me, you know what, it didn't work out. You know, he left me and she left me and my finances and this person's no longer with me and I have felt like I, I, I faced loss. I've actually tried to do what God told me to do and I experienced loss. Church, has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me on my road following Christ. And I got good news for you. That's not the end of the road. There is a new chapter of life. And so Moses comes to this moment and he hears these words from God. You're going to be this leader. I'm going to deliver my people out of slavery. I'm going to deliver my people out of bondage. And I'm going to do great and glorious things. So glorious that if I tell them you all at once, you're not going to believe it. But my hand will be with you. And so Moses then says what would be logical, you and I would think it. Moses says, okay, so if I go do this, God, last time it was a big failure, it didn't work out, I lost everything, now I'm going to go do this. So here's the thing, what is your name? Because you're asking me to go tell other people about you. So what is your name that I could tell everybody else, this God has sent me? And so Moses says, I am. Excuse me, the Lord says to Moses, I am. Can you say I am? Sacred name of God. Sacred name of God. We transliterate as Yahweh. And so now fast forward all the way to Jesus, the promised Messiah, God in human flesh. And he is going throughout his life telling people, I am. And he has these very important moments where he mentions the I am. So here's the first one. Here's the first I am. Are you ready for this, church? He says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. 
I am the one that you should consume. And if you don't understand this bread of life, they didn't get it at all during their day. In fact, they, they looked at Jesus. They said, are you talking about cannibalism? Are we supposed to eat you, but you're a physical person there? And what does that really mean that we're supposed to consume you? And you're going to say, if you consume me, if you eat of me, if you take of me, you'll always be satisfied. There'll be this deep and rich satisfaction on you. And so the Jews are kind of tripping out and they say, well, wait, are you, are you like talking about manna bread, but you're using your body? Because, you know, Moses gave us the manna. And he says, Moses did not give you the manna. What are you talking about? We had this supernatural thing from God, that, uh, from Moses, that gave us the manna. And he corrects me, says, it was God who gave it to you. I am greater than that. I am greater than your forefathers. I am. I am that bread of life. Consume me. Isn't it fascinating that we're made to be consumers? How many of you guys, when you go for Thanksgiving and Christmas, and now, you know, the sales are out there, and it doesn't matter if you do it online. Because I know some of you have told me this. It doesn't matter if you do it online. But you say to your family and friends, I'm going to go shopping. You know, it's, it's the holidays. I've got to go buy a Christmas present. I've got to go buy a birthday present. And so I want to get ahead of the curve. And now I'm going to go buy a gift, right? You're going to be a consumer in that sense. And so now you're going to go buy that gift. And you go to buy something. And the first gift you go to buy is for who? It's for yourself. Is that you? That's me. And I'll go out and I go, you know, I'll have the list. Oh, I got to get my friends a gift. I got to get my, my loved ones a gift. I got to get my sons a gift. I got to get my wife a gift. And then I go to the store. I go, man, that's a nice shirt. I bet you I look good in that shirt. I've always wanted that shirt, huh? I don't get me that shirt. And I'll take it, right? And I come home. And it's like, well, who'd you buy for what? I go, ah, oh, I got me a nice shirt. Is that you? We're consumers that way. So Jesus appealing to that says, says, do you want to be satisfied? Do you want the longings of your heart filled? I am that God that can fill them. Consume me. Let my consumption be deep inside of you. And so Jesus will say that he is actually the bread of life. We'll move on now. That was John chapter 6, verse 35 by way of reference. And I'm just going to reference this for you. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus will say something so profound. He'll say, I am the light of the world. In fact, if you walk in me, Jesus tells you, you will not be consumed by the darkness. You will not walk in darkness. You will walk in the light of life. Just like over here outside the tent, people are in the sun. They're walking in the light in that sense, and the sun's just shining upon them. Even in the tent here, of course, we have the sun that's coming in, and we can see our way. Jesus says that if I, you follow me, you will have the light of my life in you. And wherever darkness in life tries to chase you, whatever caves the devil tries to put you in, whatever kind of setbacks try and put you in a grave, I will lift you up and my light will shine. It's profound. When Jesus, Jesus is mentioning, I am the light of the world, it's a direct reference back to Genesis because the first thing that God created was light when he said, let there be let there be light. Our physical light is created by God for our benefit. Spiritually, the Lord Jesus Christ brings it inside us. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Next, Jesus most profoundly in John chapter 10, verse 7, says, I am the door. I am that door. And then he continues the thought. He says, I'm actually the door of life. And he will actually repeat that statement. 
says, do you want to live a good life? Do you actually want to have a life? Ever had that said to you or said that to somebody else? And then, of course, sometimes we'll say it to somebody else trying to be helpful and it doesn't work, right? I want you to have a life. And we try all these conversations and things, but it's really a divine moment where God has to come into their life to show them to walk into the door that's before them. So I think it's fascinating that a door, a door, a door actually sits on a hinge and it swings open. The issue for you is do you see the doors that are open for, for you for God to walk in, for you to walk into God? Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the door to life, actually. I'm the door that you've actually always been wanting to find. I am actually that door. And if you walk into it, you will see life in such a unique and supernatural way. I really like this next I am statement. So Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. He says, I am the good shepherd. Oh, it's fascinating about what he describes it. That's in John chapter 10, verse 14. When he, when he talks about, I am the good shepherd. So there's a couple ways of thinking about this. There is, like we have behind us, we have these goats. And be nice to the goats, and they'll be nice to you. But we got these great goats. And uh, I, when we got this property, I didn't know we were inheriting a goat farm and a goat family, you know. But they're awesome creatures. And by the way, you know how they're in a fence? If you go back and you see them in the fence, they're a bunch of liars. They can get out whenever they want. Those goats do not ever stay there. They, you know, this is out of some old school far side cartoon or something. Because I'll come on the property and then they go back in. And then I leave and they go back out and they're just doing their thing around here. So that's just the goat farm for you. But Jesus' reference to being the good shepherd was not like we have them locked up here. This would be out in wilderness where there were lions and tigers and bears. Oh my and so what shepherds would do is what we do to this day, where there's makeshift fencing that they put up, and then they put all the sheep in there, and then this is out in the wilderness where there's all those wild animals that want to eat those sheep, and here's what the shepherd does. The shepherd with his staff leaves the door open because the sheep have to come in and out to do their thing, and so he's going to keep them in at night. And here's what the shepherd does. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. This isn't what every shepherd does. Fake shepherds do something different. Lying shepherds do something different. I'm the good shepherd. I physically lay my body in front of the door. And I protect you. I keep evil away from you. I keep wolves away from you. I, I keep nasty things away from you. I am that door. I will lay my life right before that door. You stay in that pen. I am at that door, and I will fight every battle on your behalf, and I will win every day on your behalf, and I will call you to myself because I am that good shepherd. Powerful illustration of how Jesus says, I am. And the Jews at this time, they got that. They fought with him. When he said, I'm the bread of life, boy, they didn't like that at all, and they fought with him. In fact, they would so not like that word, I am the bread of life, that the entire dissertation that Jesus really has, this long dialogue that he goes through, leads up after healing people, after bringing love, after delivering people from their afflictions. We're talking whole cities where he would heal people all at once. After all of that, he, they hear this teaching, I'm actually God, I'm God in human flesh, 
I'm the bread of life. They, they leave. They actually leave. They go, this is too, too hard for us to listen to. And he has to go to Peter, James, and John, and the rest and say, are you guys taking off too? And they say, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So he said, I am that bread of life. I am the light of the world. There is no other. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And then now in John chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is related to a guy named Lazarus. That's a great name. You have to say that name out loud. Say Lazarus. Okay, that's Lazarus. That's a great name. So his friend Lazarus dies. Jesus, to illustrate the point, delays in going to the tomb. It's all purposeful. He's right next door, basically, but his friend dies. And now he's going to have a conversation with Mary and Martha about that. And they're going to say, well, Lord, he's dead. He's dead. Thank you. You didn't come on time. And you didn't hear this prayer. These things didn't work out the way we thought. And so I guess you could just leave. And Jesus says, what are you talking about? I am here to resurrect my friend Lazarus. And so the two gals are actually really good theologians. And they say, well, listen, we understand the last day there'll be a resurrection of sorts. Uh, and so we accept that. We accept that we can go to heaven and see our loved ones there again. And he says, no, no, no. <laughs> I am the resurrection. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And watch out what I do. And so he says, look at, roll that stone away. Roll that stone away. And they fight with him again. Have you ever fought with Jesus? Oh, come on, church. You know you fought with Jesus. Right? Because he's asked you to roll certain stones away from your heart and let him in. You've said no. And you said it in the same way that it was said back then because the sisters are going to say, you know what, Lord, if we roll that stone away, there's a nasty stench that's going to come out because he's been dead for a while. And you're afraid that if God has you, roll that stone open from your heart, that nasty stench of hurt and pain that is deep in your soul, it's going to come out and you don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. God's going to save you and do something beautiful. And so he says, I'm the resurrection of life. And Jesus, when he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he actually has to call them by name because he's operating in such power. If he were to say, come forth and not mention Lazarus, every dead person would have just come out. But instead he says, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus must come forth and he's bound up, he's mummified, and everyone's in such shock that Jesus has to say, unbind him. The spiritual metaphor of your soul where the Lord wants to constantly unbind your heart and your soul from the things of this world. And so he is that bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life. I got two more, church. Can you hang in there? You're going to like this. Now we're at the end of Jesus' life. We're on to the Passover weekend. We're on to that last teaching He's actually spent some time talking about heaven. He's spent some time talking about death. 
I know a number of us in our church, we've, we've suffered loss of loved ones, so, so the idea of eternity now presses upon us as never before. The reality of heaven presses upon us upon never before. And I know many of you share those, those hurts and pains deep inside your soul. And so Jesus is going to say some words. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. There's many rooms. In other words, there's a life. There's an eternal life there. And then there's a little bantering about that back and forth. And, and Jesus is actually going to say, well, here's what you need to understand. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is that narrow road. And sometimes people argue with me about this. And I say, well, how's that wide road going? Is it full of loss? Yes. Is it full of broken relationships? Yes. Is it full of constant depressive episodes by which you have no power supernaturally to overcome? You realize that Christianity is not about getting in front of the mirror in the morning and splashing you know, water on you and then trying to repeat power words. I can do it. We can do it. We can get there. We can do it. We can be happy. Okay, I'm no longer going to be sad. I'm no longer going to be sad. Water, water, face, soap, shave. No longer going to be sad. No longer going to be sad. Are you going to be sad? Yes. It's called bondage, and God has better for you. He has so much better for you. He has a new life for you. It's not about like this self-effort. The way you come to Christ is by actually coming to the end of yourself. One of the sweetest prayers, if you want to know how to pray into God's will, pray, God, help me. God, save me. God, be here now. God, be real at this moment. God, carry me. Those are instantaneous answers to prayer. And Jesus comes and says, I am the way and I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The last one of the I am statements is Jesus says, I am the vine. And I would ask you to go, well, don't walk all the way in our vineyards, but you can kind of walk up to the edge. And you're going to see a vine stalk and it's thick. And it's going to come up now. And now we've been watering for a while after aggressive pruning this year. And now there's some branches that have been out. And those branches are actually tied up. And those branches are tied up because they're going to actually bloom with gorgeous fruit that's going to be so weighty that they're actually going to need to be tied up to be able to hold on to it. But it's that vine. That vine is actually the source which gives energy, which gives nutrients to actually all of the branches. Jesus says, I am actually that vine. I am that vine. And you can actually know that vine. That vine can actually come to you in a powerful way. Church, everyone's confused out there. Nobody knows who they are out there. And God comes to you and says, I am here to save you. I am actually here to give you resurrection power. I am here to give you a new identity. And so let me explain that to you. Jesus said in John chapter 10, 10, that I came that you might have an abundant life. Say abundant with me. An abundant life. A beautiful, abundant life. A life of meaning and purpose. Go around and look at a cemetery 
And you'll see that there's a birth date and a death date. And I do on occasion like to look at these tombstones to find out how people have been dead longer than they've been alive, were ever alive. And you have a birth date and you have a death date. And you know what's in the middle? There's a dash. And that dash adds up to whether you are significant or not. And God actually wants to save you that you would have a tremendous relationship with him and that you would enjoy his abundance. Jesus would go on to say that whoever believes in me, it's actually his desire to not have you perish, but have an eternal life. Jesus would go on to say, excuse me, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you know what that means for us? It means that we're all a train wreck. So I hope I, hope I present myself well to you. I, I hope our church presents ourselves well to you. I hope we have good personal relationships. Deep inside, we all have the same common human problem. It's called sin. So do not think that social propriety where we look nice, and gosh, you guys all look so good today. And it's the beautiful people of the world today. And we should. We should do that. Everyone inside is hurting. Everyone inside is yearning. Everyone inside has this trouble that they need to be delivered from for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. The speaking and teaching there is that it actually comes by a grace of God, a supernatural grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For of our grace we've been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. So our normal human way of thinking is, can we earn this? You know, can, I, can, it, can it be on the point system? You know, so I attend the ranch church. I get extra points for that, right? And, and, uh, and then I, I serve in some ways. I get extra points for that. And maybe I give here and I give there, and maybe I get extra points, but maybe God's okay with me. You know what the gospel says to that? You know what Jesus says to that? No! It doesn't work that way. There's a greater power. You know what the greater power is? I can't fix myself. I can't help myself. I actually need God to save me by a supernatural grace by what is called the manifold grace of God. I don't deserve it. I can't earn it. I can only ask God to give it for his glory, that it would glorify him for me to actually experience it. John chapter 1, verse 12. You're going to like this. Jesus says, I actually give you right to become children of God, children who know my name. And so we actually get to be son and daughters of God. We get to live very differently in this lifetime. We actually get to be a son and daughter of God. We have authority. We have power. We actually now get to have a conversation with God where we know that our prayers can be answered. We know that we can have blessings in this lifetime, friendship in this lifetime, relationship in this lifetime. We know that we can be done away with negativity. We can be done away with curses. And we can have something so new that if God were to tell you all at once, you wouldn't believe it. To be a son and a daughter of God. Back to the door that we're talking about. Revelation chapter 3 says that Jesus is actually knocking on the door. So earlier Jesus talked about that he's the door. And he's wanting this door open for you to know him. And now he's actually saying, but I know my people. They're actually kind of stubborn. So I actually have to knock on the door. 
And that's why we gather. That's why you're here. You're here because Jesus Christ is knocking on the door of your heart. He's actually knocking on the door of his heart and the, on your heart. And the promise of God is that if you will actually open that door, he will actually go in. And Jesus, in that teaching, uses a very personal way of talking. He says, I will come in. It's kind of the southern way of, of saying it in some of the Bible translations. He says, and I will sup with you. You know, so I love my southern friends and some of their way of talking that way. Like, we're going to have supper together. Like, and that is an idea of being close, personal, intimate, of, of actually knowing. I mean, if I, listen, I like all of you. So if you come over to my house to eat, like we're going to talk, right? And we're going to get to know one another. And we're going to enjoy one another. We're going to be to do life together. If we go out somewhere to barbecue, or we go out somewhere to eat, we're going to do life together. And we're going to know one another. And we're going to have a loyalty to one another, and a true friendship to one another. And so Jesus actually offers all these things to save you from yourself. He says, I am. I am God. I am the Savior. I am the lover of your soul. I am the author and perfecter of truth. I'm the author and perfecter of life. I'm the author and perfecter of all that you see. I designed you. I love you. I like you. I know everything about you. I know your life from the beginning and to the end. And I am now calling you home. I'm calling you to be liberated from sin. I'm calling you to be to, to watch how I take every demon off of your family, every demon off of your life, every curse of darkness away from you. I will remove every form of darkness from you so that you will walk in the light of my life because I'm God. And I did not birth you so that you would be in bondage to sin. I did not birth you in this lifetime so that you're in bondage to demons. And I didn't birth you in this lifetime that you'd be in bondage to loss. I will resurrect a new life in you. Church, do you want that? a new life, a brand new life, a brand new life. And so he's knocking on the door of your heart. So God does something that's so different than I ever would do. So perhaps you would say, that's great. And that would be, that is great. But the way you internalize it is so differently than I ever would have thought. I, I would have thought that you do a ritual. You know, maybe we pour some water on you. Uh, you know, the, the teaching here with Jesus surrounds a lot in the book of John around a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is this fall Jewish feast found stereotypically in the, book, in the month of September, they actually, it actually was kind of a happy time. And so actually the elders of the tribes and everything got in front of the people and they danced. Maybe we should bring the elders of our church up and they should dance. No, we won't do that. You know why? Because the only people who should dance in front of church are those who know how to dance, right? So I'm messing with my elders so I say that they're beautiful men. Jesus is knocking on the door of your life so that you would be so free and liberated that you would dance in your heart. He's knocking on the door of your life so that you'd be so free and liberated from sin that you're just doing jumping jacks. You're understanding that the greatest human experience that you can ever have is to know God. There is actually no greater human experience possible than to actually have knowledge of God, forgiveness of God, and a new life with God. And so what God asks of you is actually a public declaration and confession of this. This is actually where it turns. 
Jesus made a bold statement. He said, if you deny me in front of people, if you deny me in front of others, if you deny me in front of church, I will actually deny you in front of the Father who is in heaven. But if you confess me in front of others, if you confess me publicly, the angels of heaven start rejoicing. Heaven starts just going crazy happy. And God comes and actually saves your soul in the most beautiful and wonderful way. And so I'm asking the church to come to Jesus and to watch the hound of heaven be released on your life, to see beauty and glory, to see the power of the resurrection operating inside you. Thank you for listening to the Rick Soto Podcast. For more information about Pastor Rick Soto and the Ranch Church, go to ranchchurch.com.